Welcome to the Health and Wellness Show, everybody. Today is Friday, July 28th, 2017. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Uh, joining me in our virtual studio from all over the planet are Erica, Doug, Gabby, and Elliot. Hey, guys. Hello. 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 So we, uh, we're missing uh, Tiffany today, so we wish her well. We'll see her next week, hopefully. Uh, so today, we're going to talk connect the dots between big food, big pharma, and big disease. Uh, so, you know, it sounds uh, kind of general. I think our listeners will be familiar with, uh, you know, what's going on in those areas, our regular listeners. Um, but today we just wanted to look back at some items in the news and essentially have a conversation about it, uh, just kind of see where things are going and see what kind of connections we can come up with. So the first bit, I think, uh, is pretty interesting, and people have probably heard of this, Um that uh, the American Heart Association has now started to demonize coconut oil, mm-hmm. which is uh, hilarious. <laughs> so today's a comedy show. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I almost don't even know what to say about it. <laughs> well, it's just really funny because like, I mean, the American Heart Association is basically still peddling their original guidelines from what, the 60s, was it, or the 70s? And they just have refused to budge on this issue of saturated fats or any number of issues that they, that they, dietary recommendations that they make. And it's just, it is kind of hilarious on the one hand because, you know, there's so much new science coming out all the time. And it's just like, it, it's, they, they've like kind of just boxed themselves into this corner and they are refusing to kind of look at anything else. And, uh, they're still saying, you know, saturated fats cause heart disease. They're still giving the same, um, cause and effect, which has been so thoroughly debunked. Like, you'd think they would be kind of embarrassed about this to be still peddling these same sort of guidelines long yeah. after, like, you know, every blogger and his cousin has basically debunked it. And uh, not to mention the actual uh, hard science in the scientific journals. So it's just, it's it's kind of, it, it is laughable, but at the same time, it's sad because they are an influential organization and people actually listen to them. So um, they're they're peddling dangerous information, essentially. Super well, dangerous. Yeah, it is. I mean, it, it, you know, they've been doing that, uh, but this, I think, is kind of a new level, I guess. I mean, it, you know, when I think back to the old food pyramid, you can see how it happened with, um, you know, the the rise uh, of the uh, the agriculture industry in the United States. And what was the guy's name? The the original person who uh, who demonized fat, saturated fat. Oh, Ansel Keys. Ansel Keys. That was it. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's been happening since then. Uh, sorry, I could, no, if you guys can hear that a truck is driving by. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> live radio. Yep, it's live. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but it is, there's kind of a battle going on too because, you know, doctors are coming back on this and saying, uh, no, you're completely wrong. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know if it's based, like everybody's just going to follow. I don't know. It's getting so ridiculous because at some point, like a few years ago, I thought, okay, this is it. So we're on the right track. Mm -hmm. Like several government agencies, um, they confirmed that, yes, low carb was probably the best way to go if you have diabetes and obesity. And there were several studies, very big ones, analyzing that, yeah, saturated fats is good, dude. Like, okay. <laughs> so there was a revision of the food guidelines in the United States not too long ago. And they were like a little bit ambivalent, like, 
uh, probably yeah. it's a good idea to put a limit in saturated fat, but eating eggs is probably not that bad for you. So it's kind of like um, yeah. double meaning there. It's not very clear. And then along came the American Heart Association. And of course, they published in circulation, which is considered like the, the best, you know, journal, the topic, so to speak. And they contradict all these signs that has been revised in the last years completely. They say like, okay, eliminate saturated fats or decrease it significantly and substitute it with polysaturated fatty acids with very unstable fatty acids that are basically like reactive, nuclear reactive, basically to put a, an analogy. And then you're good. And everybody was like, no, I mean, even the average <laughs> Joe is saying like, dude, that's so wrong. <laughs> and so we have, we're left with all these prestigious science in quotes that they're basically making a big shame of themselves, a big show of stupidity, be, you know, in front of everybody, you know, I just don't know where it's going to go. Yeah. And it's really like, I mean, it, what it comes down to is the money, essentially. Mm -hmm. I mean, the American Heart Association is gets funding from like the soybean industry, who are producers of soy oil in the canola industry, as well as the pharmaceutical industry. So, you know, their recommendations are basically what you would uh, expect from somebody who's being funded by these people, you know, like um, something that will... They give guidelines on what your um, uh, cholesterol levels should be. And really the only way of achieving those is to go on statin medications. And then they demonize saturated fats and tell you to eat polyunsaturated fats, the biggest producers obviously being soybean oil and canola oil. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a few other ones as well, cottonseed oil and, I don't know, sunflower, safflower, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, soy and canola are kind of the big ones. So it's like, you know, it, it's just so obvious when you look at who's giving them the money and why, you know, they obviously have an agenda and why those recommendations would be, be what was pushed. But I just, I can't figure out what the people who are actually at the American Heart Association are thinking. Like, you know, are they just not, They're not are thinking. they just ignoring? <laughs> what? I wonder, or if they, are they yeah. just so corrupt that they don't care? Or is it like that, that it, they've think, literally put the blinders on and they just aren't paying attention to their most I have my hypotheses, mostly because mm. I, I work with mainstream people as well, and I know they have this blind spot. They're good-willing people, but they're being exposed to these polarized material for so long that they cannot mm. think anymore. They cannot see it for what it is. They just, mm. you know, project their biases and the conflict of interest automatically, and they don't even know why, you know. They just, like... Follow the rules, so follow, follow the authority. And yeah. so I have to, regretfully, I think that it's going to get worse because then, you know, these guidelines are going to be, like, um, given to doctors. You know, they have to apply them, and mm. they're going to believe them. And, yes, basically I lost, uh, well, I never lose hope, but <laughs> I'm not very optimistic right now. <laughs> I was having yeah, a similar... I... Oh, oh, God, sorry, go ahead, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I was thinking, like, along the lines of what you said, Doug, uh, that, it, you know, is it a giant diabolical conspiracy to make the country <laughs> sick? Uh, m maybe. I don't know who, you know, perhaps. But I think more likely is that it's um, a mixture of psychopathy and greed, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in a giant industry where and, – and just ambivalence, too, like where you might get Let's say one of those guys, you're going to get a huge bonus, and all you got to do is sign a recommendation that perpetuates the 
the old guidelines. I'm making a hypothetical here. And mm. you might have a moment of moral quandary where you're like, well, I'm doing this for money. And then you're like, well, it's just got, it's just guidelines. You know, people are going to mm-hmm, eat what they yeah. want anyway. So sure. I'll take the 10 million. Mm. Um, you know, something like that could go down too. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the, the fact of the matter is like the American Heart Association is just really, it's just a money-making enterprise. You know, one of the things that they, one of their initiatives has been, I don't know if you've ever seen that, they've got that heart healthy, like check mark thing that they put on like AHA approved mm. kind of thing. And they sell yeah, it's on Kellogg's those cereal. Offered. Yeah. It's on yeah. I mean, over it's on this stuff. 890 yeah. foods. That's hilarious. Yeah. You know, including and the, the bread and cereal thing, and... Well, yeah. I mean, it's all garbage that that is basically getting their heart healthy check mark on it. I can't remember what it's actually called, health check maybe or something. But you know, it's just like they're, they're basically the stipulations are, you know, it it can't have uh, a lot of saturated fat, um, and I can't remember the other ones. There's a couple of other ones that are also complete BS. But um, but as long as it doesn't kind of interfere with those things, it's, it gets the check mark. So it doesn't matter how many preservatives, additives, flavorings, genetically modified ingredients, um, heavy metal contamination, like it, it doesn't matter about any of that other kind of stuff. They're just looking at the numbers on, you know, these particular things like saturated fat. I think salt might be one of them too. And it's like, if it doesn't have that, that crap in it, then, uh, sorry, if it doesn't have uh, the, the the saturated fat and the salt and whatever else, then it gets that check mark. It's like they 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 have no integrity whatsoever. But unfortunately, that kind of stuff works. Like you see this check mark, and it's like, oh, this uh, governing body that I know absolutely nothing about has given their approval of this product. Therefore, I'm feeding my family healthy food. What worries yeah. me the most over the last years, and I'm seeing this increasingly, is that the normalization of conflicts of interests, you know, mm-hmm. they see it as completely normal. Oh, yes, we're going to receive all this money from Bayer and, bon- and Monsanto. That's totally acceptable mm-hmm. and normal. Whereas at least 10 years ago, you know, it was completely unacceptable. How dare you, are, you know, of course, it's going to be a conflict of interests. Of course, you know, that that's mm. simply not done, you know. And today, it's like, everybody's like, yeah, it's fine. We receive this money from Big Pharma, and that's the way it works, period. Mm. Well, and Americans yeah. dutifully follow the recommendations, right? So, and they're consuming, like, since the 1970s, there's been, like, a 600% increase in the consumption of veggie oil. While yeah. cutting butter, lard, and tallow in half, and and what we're seeing like eight hundred thousand people with heart disease in the U.S. dying. It's um, it's like you said, Gabby. I th- I think I would tend to agree that a lot of the professionals in the field, um, of uh, medicine and nutrition, um, they, I guess you you've probably got many authoritarian type personalities. Um, and it, it's it's to such an extent that I mean this is the most baffling thing, and you actually mentioned it in your article, Gabby, um, that <laughs> there must be there's such cognitive dissonance or whatever it is, some sort of psychological mechanism that makes someone one of these professionals who is trained in chemistry uh, to some degree, very basic basic chemistry, to completely. Uh, discard everything that they've learned about organic chemistry yeah. 
it, with this idea that saturated fat is somehow more dangerous than polyunsaturated fat. Well, just the basics of it. I mean, it's so <laughs> simple to understand is that a polyunsaturated fat, it, it means it contains um, double bonds. So that means that the hydrogen atoms, it, basically, it's to do with the molecular structure of the fat. And in chemistry, what this means is that when something contains um, double bonds in it, it is more susceptible to oxidation. It means it's more unstable and it can degrade faster. Completely There's somebody alive out there, you know. <laughs> Are you supposed to go to, did you go to med school at all, you know? Because these did. Oh, sorry. <laughs> well, can you guys hear me? We can hear you. Hello? Hello? You guys hear me? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we're choppy a little bit here, going in and out. I can hear you now. Uh, well, that was what, you know, basically what Kiho was saying, you know. And uh, that was my last cry, you know, basically, because it is concepts of organic chemistry. It's a basic science that you have to study before you enter medical school. Like, we agree that if you know organic chemistry, you can go to medical school. If not, you cannot go. And these are concepts of organic chemistry. It doesn't make sense. You know, saturated fat, it's stable, it's healthy, it's anti-inflammatory. And uh, so we have all these experts, you know, going against it, which betrays like a complete ignorance of a basic science that they're supposed to know better, you know. Basically, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, to the point that uh, people are, you know, ignoring basic chemistry and science in this regard, uh, I think that like – uh, it's it's really interesting phenomena. I think that that people who are ostensibly uh, intelligent and perhaps even like empathetic people uh, get um, misdirected by faith or belief of some kind, uh, and that that you know steers their opinions. And I was thinking about the I don't know, I think we've talked about it before um, the origin of the uh, graham cracker. Have you guys heard that story? No. Isn't that Harvey Kellogg? No? Well, it was Harvey. Yeah, Harvey Kellogg founded Kellogg's, but the Graham cracker was uh, was named Graham, Graham Sylvester Graham. Uh, mm -hmm. But he specifically developed these uh, with the intent of uh, curbing sexual desire, you know, in order <laughs> to help people be more holy. And it was because he believed that a vegetarian diet and a good sleep regimen would set you on the path to celibacy and holiness. <laughs> If you look at it from a scientific point of view, I think it's kind of interesting because that, you know, uh, eating a, a, a diet in, of moderate protein and high animal fats gives you a healthy libido. Mm. Um, and otherwise, you know, it starts to, uh, to wane. And I think that's because of the decrease in uh, the ability of the body to regulate hormones, right, over time. Right. So I just think it's kind of interesting when you tie all this together that, you know, somebody might have this, they might see science as a way to enforce their, you know, religious views. Mm. So this guy saw that a vegetarian diet curbs sexual desires and he was like, oh, that's what I want to go for. So we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> and the graham cracker is still in circulation. Popular. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. And Kellogg, Kellogg was in that same group of guys too, uh, the Seventh-day Adventists. Um, and I don't mm. know if he had that specific intent in mind when he developed cornflakes, but uh, he did run an insane asylum, so that's a, that's a <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't it insane asylum? I thought it was just for like sick people. Oh, wait, okay. People? Okay, you got. I I was kind of being presumptuous. I read Sanitarium and I thought insane asylum. <laughs> oh, maybe well, that I was just a, like I'm a not, medical house. I'm not an expert on the history of Kellogg's. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so to the point where you know how people could be ignoring basic science, I think that might come into it. So well, uh, do I we think have a cooler. It, it looks like we may have a caller. Should we see oh, nice. who's on the line? Yeah. I don't think it's a caller, but go ahead. Okay, we'll try. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. <laughs> Hello, caller. Are you there? Are you there? Uh, yes. So, Hello. Uh, um, I wanted. Hey, this is Javis, and I'm in South Carolina. How you guys doing? Hey, Hi, Javis. Hey, Welcome. Javis. Hey, Javis. <laughs> so I'm really enjoying the show, and I'm pretty much like jumping up and down in my chair as you guys are talking about <laughs> the whole <laughs> how. So I I am formally trained in chemistry, like no PhD or anything, but I went through a lot of organic chemistry classes. And so when I first, I just wanted to say when I first came across the whole uh, shift in diet, or the paradigm shifting to eating more saturated fats. What actually did help me was having the knowledge of, um, you know, chemical reactivity and stuff like stuff like that. So hmm. what you guys are talking about on how that is kind of lost on the general populace, I guess, would be, I remember a commercial where they, they dumped a vat of fat into a pipe or whatever, and they're saying, look out, this clogs this pipe. This is what fat, saturated fats are doing inside your body. Uh, ergo, you should not eat saturated fats. And like just looking at that, just from having a basic understanding of chemistry, I was just kind of shouting in my head, like, that, that, that doesn't work. Um, <laughs> but, you know, how do you explain chemistry to someone that is basically going off of a false assumption or a faulty example to kind of prove mm. prove a point that is wrong. Um, uh, if, so if you're I, asking, I don't I think, think like I think the best way would be a, a, just an experiment. I mean, if you can do in that context, if you can do another experiment to show them, you know, the actual context of what you're talking about, that kind of person might, yeah, that well, at least might make them think. <laughs> I will say I did have an experience maybe three years ago. Um, we had, like, at a job I held as a chemist, they had a, a general practitioner in-house. And so I went to them, and they did a, a checkup on my blood work and everything, and they saw that my cholesterol was really high, uh, blood pressure was high. And so the nurse gave me um, advice to, okay, this is what you should eat for the next three weeks. Follow this to the letter and come back and see me and see what happens. And I said, okay, sure. And of course, uh, the advice was to eat everything with the, you know, the heart symbol on it, uh, mostly <laughs> vegetables. Don't eat bacon or anything like that. But I did the exact opposite. I, 
I, <laughs> I only so just just minor details like my calcium was low, um, and uh, and some other minerals were really low, and I was basically eating high carbs. So what I did is I did the opposite. I had a like fat breakfast, lunch, and dinner, bacon mostly, um, no vegetables. I drank no milk. I actually stopped drinking milk. And I went back three weeks later, and they did the blood test again. My blood pressure was lower. My calcium went up. Magnesium <laughs> went up. And they're like, oh, wow, you did exactly what we told you to do. And I was like, actually, I did the opposite. And I, kind of went into a, I went into kind of a small explanation of, like, I did some research on my own, you know, being a chemist, and I found that you will lose less minerals if you're eating fat or whatever. And long story short, the woman actually quit her job two weeks later. We exchanged uh, emails. What? She said, wow. We exchanged e- we <laughs> we exchanged emails because she wanted to know more about what I was doing, and um, that's the last I've heard of I, I heard from her. And she quit her job. Wow! So, wow! That's that's like a, a massive like that's cognitive dis- distance to the max for someone yeah. in the medical industry. So yeah. I'm kidding. I, I, I feel I like know. I feel like saying good job, but I don't know. Did she turn out like <laughs> I don't I, I no longer work there, so um you know, I, I don't know. Is it worth shattering somebody's like view on life with this stuff? I I don't know. My well, my advice is to only talk to people about the details if they are like asking and doing their own research because then yeah. you know they're actually looking for something. Uh, I would say well, I would I, say first of all it's positive to me. Yeah, it's it's worth it for you to have taken care of yourself in an appropriate way. You know, you did that and it uh, and it worked. So I think that was totally worth it no matter what else happened. Um but probably was great uh for that person that you were able to show them, you know, what actually works and what doesn't. Or at yeah. least point them in the direction. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if she wasn't interested, yeah. she would have just ignored you and considered it an anomaly and kind of let it go, you know? Right. She was probably fact waiting, that she actually, waiting for that. Sorry, Doug. Well, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Like, I mean, just, just the fact that she was able, like able to kind of hear you and kind of, uh, take that on board and, and, you know, realize that there was something wrong with what she was doing. I, I'd say that's a positive thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much she heard. I kind of set the trap as like when I went back, just, they expected that I did exactly what they said, which is why my re- results were much better. I was like, nope, that, that's not what I did. So, yeah. It was kind of a trap, but I don't feel too bad about it. <laughs> There's a that's sim- a great story. <laughs> There's a similar story from a guy named uh, Dr. Tent, who's a natural practitioner and a chiropractor in Michigan, downstate Michigan. And uh, I won't go into the whole thing, but essentially he had a friend who I think worked at Mayo Clinic. Uh, and he was explaining to him and over time was able to show him that the hospital was ignoring basic nutrition and uh, mm. the guy ended up quitting and of quitting a very lucrative wow. job because he just couldn't handle it. Wow. I think unfortunately uh, people like that that will quit is not to, I mean, that those people are few and far between just from mm. what I've seen um, working in the chemical industry for a short while. So it's it's kind of sad, and it prompted me to actually switch uh, career paths because it's that can be grating on the conscious, I think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but um, 
thank you guys for taking my call. Um, keep doing what you're doing. And yeah. I'm really enjoying the show that you guys have been doing. So thank you. That was thank you, Javis. Thank you. Thanks, Javis. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. See you guys. See you. Yeah, that was awesome. Wow. Yeah, very good story. Yeah. And great, we it's had a really- caller. <laughs> <laughs> it could it's be shattering. Yeah. Well, yeah, I was just going to say that the, the lady, she quit. Well, that was my my first instinct back in the day. You know, I quit my, my first specialty completely, you know. And mm. uh, I'm progressively, yes, I tried to, integ- to integrate everything I learned, mainstream, alternative, and everything in between. For me, it's just one medical science, you know. Although for other people, it might come across that I'm coming from two different, you know, bands or whatever. But mm. no, you know, so, but yeah, I can totally empathize with that. It can be completely earth shattering. Yeah. Gabby, from your experience, um, do you get a backlash too? When you have, an, when you have a, a moment of realization like that in the medical field, do you get other people who are like, you know, what are you doing with your life? Yeah, because nobody understood in a sense, like, what what are you doing? You know, it's like the specialty that everybody wants to do and you did it and whatever, you know. <laughs> just, um, I, I explain to people that my temperament is different. I'm open-minded. Yes, I have the discipline to do these, like, I don't know, 15 hours a day if it's necessarily, but it's not, you know, I can, I need to, you know, uh, be an independent thinker, you know, do my own research, have the time to do my own research. It's like for me, the earth to breathe, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, a lot of people didn't understood. Some people did understood because, you know, but yes, I get admonished yeah, a lot throughout the years. What did you do? You're stupid, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> well, it seems like, Abby, and, and I'm not sure if this is true in Europe, but um, at least in the U.S., like, the diet heart hypothesis has been tested more than any other in the history of nutrition. And so yeah. it's it's interesting that yet again, as you were saying, over the last couple of years on SOT, we've carried a lot of articles that have, you know, brought back the idea that butter's good for you and beef fat. I mean, I think there was even a cover of Time magazine and there's been mm-hmm. lots written about it. And that yet the science... You know, I mean, that they would come back to this hypothesis again now about coconut oil. And one thing that was interesting in one of the articles that we were reading about coconut oil is that they demonized it because it was actually the hydrogenated type of coconut oil that they were using in the Mm -hmm. study. So it was the, I mean, I don't know if that's considered a trans fat, but the high heat to change it. So what are your... What do you all think about that? Like, do you, I mean, I know we talked earlier in the show about it being like a a big pharma, big food, you know, this whole connection. But why now? I wonder that it's yeah. coming back yet again, and that they I have to make might, such a big statement about it. Yeah, I, I just, I guess, I don't well, know. I mean, I know that there's good, there's good coconut oil and bad coconut oil. There is like, you know, the, hmm. based on the process that it's made with some coconut oil coconut oil can end up with aflatoxins in it because they'll just throw a bunch of coconuts into like, you know, a essentially sterile but concrete pit and let them rot and then extract the oil that way. And that's how a lot of the really cheap coconut oil is made. So it contains 
you know, molds and toxins. Uh, so you don't want to buy like a $2, you know, jar of coconut oil. Um, but yeah. you know, as far as why it's happening right now, uh, I mean, I don't know. It really is baffling. It's like the, <clears throat> the benefits of a, of a, of a high, you know, quality fat, moderate protein diet are not fringe anymore. And it's, mm. so that's, I think what's confusing. I guess maybe a lot of people still think it's fringe, but I feel like it's so widespread now. And there's so many, like, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of cases of positive benefits from this way of eating. Um, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, it really is kind of baffling. It, it, it's got to be a function of like, you know, deteriorating mental acuity. I, I don't know. <laughs> well, what happened is that I think it has to do with Bayer buying up Monsanto, you mm. know, and coconut oil being so popular, you know, even in Spain, you can get it on the web so easily. It's so difficult to get anything here, you know. And, uh, yeah, I think the, you know, the elite, it's worried that you're going to have losses that so many people are waking up. <laughs> well, it, it seems like it's damage control, like, like as you've said, because there have been so many sort of reports and articles and, and sort of mainstream sources that are coming out and saying, well, you know, coconut oil is this massively beneficial food. It's a really high quality fat and it's really helpful for all of these different kinds of diseases. Um, but then there's going to get to a point where the average person looks at coconut oil and they turn over <laughs> the, 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 the jar and look at the fat content in the coconut oil and they'll <laughs> see that it's around 90, 93% saturated fat. Mm. Yeah. And so there's going to there's going to be a moment there that, that a trigger in their brain where they say okay so how can coconut oil be so healthy yet it is mostly saturated fat whereas at the same time animal fat is really unhealthy because it's saturated fat well actually that doesn't make sense so <laughs> I think there's going to come to a point where they needed to to really sort of um rein in this whole this whole thing you know, because otherwise it would it would spark people's interest and they will start to realize that there is it's a logical fallacy to say that coconut oil is good. yet animal fat is bad. It doesn't make yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah, it's like kind of like a, a cognitive dissonance on the part of the uh, consumer. It's like, wait a minute, it's a saturated fat. How can that be good? And I think, you know, again, the American Heart Association kind of by being just kind of across the board against saturated fats, they didn't really have a choice. I mean, one of the articles we were reading pointed out that there hasn't been any uh, study that has shown a negative effect of coconut oil, provided it's a good quality coconut oil. You know, disregarding what you said before, Erica, about the original studies being done on hydrogenated uh, coconut oil. Mm -hmm. But they're like they're basing this recommendation of avoiding coconut oil based on their really dodgy theory about saturated fats being bad for you. There hasn't actually been um, a study that they looked at, and they only looked at four, um, that showed coconut oil um, to be detrimental to health. So it's, you know, it's, it's funny because <laughs> the American, sorry, not the American Heart Association. They cannot profit on coconut oil. It's not grown in the United States. <laughs> Tropical. Exactly. You know, but soy, they have loads of it. They have to do something about soy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they promote it as a health food. Yeah. 
Man, yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you just feel kind of baffled. Uh, you can, like, you know, there's a lot of things I can not rationalize but understand in terms of people being misled. And, you know, I don't presume to know everything, of course. And so it's like, you know, uh, people believe what they will. A lot of people are programmed or they have experiences or they need money or all these things come into play. But there's a certain point where the society goes in a certain direction and you're just like, uh, you know. I don't want to swear, but what the F is going on? Like you really, <laughs> it feels that way. So you got to stand back and look at psychopathy and look at the history of, of, uh, you know, modern society in the United States in particular, and all of these things come into play. It can help you understand it, but it's really still, uh, I don't know. It's hard to deal with when there's a blatant disregard for, uh, you know, proof of things that are beneficial for human health. That's that's mm. what bothers me is because it's like <clears throat> that's a basic a basic right right you know I mean if you think you know and no you shouldn't nobody should be stolen from have violence perpetrated on them or uh, you know uh, have their health damaged uh, without their consent and I think you can argue that people being deceived and programmed to think a certain way overrides their consent. Mm. But that's you know, the worst more of a thing... philosophical argument. <laughs> Sorry, what, Elliot? Like, the thing that gets me about this whole thing is it's like the thing that they're recommending, the polyunsaturated fats. I mean, there's a really good argument that that is possibly the worst thing, like the worst, mm. one of the worst things that someone could actually consume for their health. And that's not even an over overstatement. Like, it is yeah. so... I mean, the, the, the evidence and the research on this is completely conclusive. I mean, I've, uh, there's, there's a really good book by a researcher. Uh, his name's David L. Valentine, and it's called Human Long Longevity, if anyone wants to get it. It's a fairly new book, and um, I'll, I'll warn you, it's fairly expensive. It cost me about £100, and it's only a little book. Oh, God. But it's... <laughs> But it's, it's totally worth it because it's basically talking about um, – first, it, it, it speaks about the, the animal kingdom, and it basically compares the unsaturation of their tissues to, the, to their length of life. And so, for instance, the, the worker bee, um, you, you have the, the group of bees. You have the, the queen bee and the worker bee. And so the worker bee, if you look at their tissues, um, they are highly unsaturated, which is equivalent to something like a polyunsaturated fat making up the membranes of their cells. And so what, what the researchers have actually shown is that these fats function to essentially speed up the amount of energy that the mitochondria produce. So they're very useful for, um, for instance, a bee who has to travel such long distances to, to essentially um, provide for its hive. Whereas you compare that with the queen bee, and I think the queen bee lives up to 20 times longer than a worker bee, and you look at the membranes of the queen bee, and the queen bee are uh, extensively more saturated. Okay, and this is, this is common in, in, in really a lot of the animal kingdom, is that what we see is the saturated fat in the membranes of the cells is, is tied with longevity. And so when, when you consume um, a high polyunsaturated fat diet, 
this this essentially changes the content of the membrane of the cell. Um, it, 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 just like if you eat a high saturated fat diet, it also changes the content of the cell, the, the membrane of the cell. So essentially, the more PUFA that you consume, the more unsaturated are the um, the membranes in your cells, and this means that they are that um, they are very much more likely to be um, targeted by free radicals. Okay, and when this happens, the, the, the Sorry, Does that but, make the walls more more permeable? Is that what you're saying? They're more permeable. Well, the the, the hypothesis provided by um, David Valentine is that this is actually one of the um, the factors that are missing in the free radical theory theory of aging. They're saying they they post the hypothesis that um, that basically uh, the thing that causes aging is actually the targeting the destruction of the cell membrane by reactive oxygen species and therefore is directly correlated to polyunsaturated fats um, and they're saying that it, they do play a very very small role um, they they help you to basically produce energy but any more than than is needed and what is needed is very 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 low amounts they're saying that any more that is needed is, is essentially directly correlated or possibly responsible for the aging phenomena so it, it effectively destroys the whole cell um, because all of all of the cell's energy is being used to repair the membranes, whereas that shouldn't necessarily be the case. Yeah. Um, so what can happen is over a long period of time, the cell is using up all of its energy to repair the damage that has been done to these polyunsaturated fats in the membrane, and it's unable to use energy for other cellular functions. So essentially what happens is the cell has to die and you have to make a new one. Um, so uh, over a long period of time, this is a, a very sort of energy inefficient way to, to, to function. And they, they posit, I mean, aside from all the hormonal effects and everything else that the polyunsaturated fats do right down at the cellular level, these guys um, basically say that it's, it's possibly the worst thing that you could eat. So <laughs> this is what baffles me so much is that you've got, I mean, it's the complete opposite of, of, <laughs> Of the truth, it, it's it just baffles me. You know, it completely baffles me. So basically, in a, nut, <laughs> in a nutshell, those poofas, which we've done a show on in the past about, basically they cause inflammation, cellular cellular death, and is the basis of most disease. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's the idea. Okay. I think, I think basic science of nose de- the nose test from that's, years I, ago, I, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I love how you explain that, Elliot. I mean, because, you, you know, anybody can understand that the way you just said it, that it, it, it kills your cells. It increases necrosis. And so it's killing you. Hmm. That's that's and that's what happened, you know, to humanities in the last decades. You know, that's what happened in the last you know, um, three, four decades, you know, people stopped eating so much saturated fat and they shifted, you know, uh, to by eating vegetable oils and carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. So one, one of the chatters just asked, um, so how about PUFA from natural sources like fish? Um, and the, the, this book that I was just talking about is actually um, the, the title is Human Longevity, Omega-3 Fatty Acids, Bioenergetics, Molecular Biology and Evolution. So it's not actually um, specifically talking about the, the, 
the um, the oil from the vegetables. The vegetables. This this is essentially a phenomenon. Or this is a process which does apply to omega threes as well. So there is a difference between omega threes and omega sixes. Okay, omega sixes come from vegetable oils. Omega threes come from animals um, and some some other plants. Now. The, the benefits that are ascribed to the omega-3s is that they do suppress inflammatory um, enzyme, or inflammatory mediators called prostaglandins. So the omega-6s, which come from the vegetable oils, these are very pro-inflammatory, and the, the omega-3s are anti-inflammatory, okay? Mm. But that is only at the level of the prostaglandins. This is completely disregarding everything that I just said at the cellular level and the, the mitochondria level. So even if you are consuming, I mean, I know people who take a lot of fish oil. Um, now, fish oil is, again, it's one of the most highly unstable things in nature. It's actually more unstable than vegetable oils. So there have been pe- there have been benefits from people taking fish oil. Um, and I know someone who, who had Crohn's disease um and he actually took a load of fish oil now what fish oil does is not only does it suppress inflammation but it also suppresses the immune system um and so short term it is anti-inflammatory it depends whether you want to suppress your immune system or not (laughs) but not nonetheless nonetheless it still does deposit in the membranes and i personally am, am not a proponent of the idea that anyone should be taking or Okay, I'll phrase that differently. I personally don't take fish oil. I will eat fish because in fish, it's come in the natural form um, and Mm -hmm. that contains lots of antioxidants and also a lot of components that we probably don't know about that are more likely to protect the oil. But I mean, I think it happens every time that you completely isolate a substance, especially with fish oil, because it is really really kind of unstable um even if you do add antioxidants to that i personally wouldn't trust that taking large amounts of fish oil is not going to somehow have a a, an effect in my body simply because of how degradable it is Um, yeah but that's a matter of debate you know well i second that because there has been a study well i read a study recently that even the most high quality fish oil supplements they get oxidized like by a percentage of over 60%. You know, they lose, uh, it gets oxidized. Even if it's mm. completely protected from the sun and whatever and the light, it yeah. just gets oxidized. And there I is also, tell. there's also a lot of research or there, there, I mean, since the claims have been made about fish oil, researchers really expected that there was going to be lots of studies to show long-term benefits. Well, that's not the case. You show, you see short-term benefits, um, but actually the long-term studies have found no benefit in fish oil. Um, and so I think it's one of those things that, that the nutrition industry and the supplement industry really, really have jumped on. But I, you know, it, it we don't know what it's doing in the body, you know? Yeah. I, I heard tell too, uh, this was, I think last year that, uh, a lot of uh, the cheap fish oil that comes out is taken from like sick fish from farms that they mm-hmm. can actually sell the fillets, you know? And soy, from... soy oil is added to a lot of it too, especially sure. commercial production. What, what you said makes sense. Elliot. It's like too much of a good thing kind of, right? I mean, it's good for you in the context of eating fish. Like I, and you answered my question. I was going to ask like how you would explain longevity in pescatarian regions like Japan or, you know, Alaska where they predominantly have a fish diet, but it's the context, right? That the oil comes in. 
Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't get that much fish oil. Like, if you're eating some fish, you <laughs> yeah. really do not get much. I mean, honestly, if you look at the content, even really fatty fish, um, the amount of fish oil you would get in one in one meal is probably like less than half a gram or something. Mm. So, I mean, people who are taking tablespoons of this stuff. It, uh, you know, it's not it's not equivalent to eating fish in a meal. And we also forget that there's so many other things in fish like iodine and selenium. And, you know, the protein is a really high quality protein. And generally, like, I guess the information contained within the whole fish is probably somewhat different to just taking oil, you know. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well... Uh, I was curious if you guys want to talk about the, uh, since we're on the topic of health fats, you know, how they apply, um, uh, about the, uh, the meat allergy tick, the Lone Star tick. This is a thing I think is really fascinating. And, uh, I think it kind of ties into this in a, in a weird way. Uh, we were talking before the show and this is totally just like a blue sky kind of hypothetical thought. But so there's this tick uh, that if it bites you, it, you will get an allergy to um, like beef and pork and certain elements of those. Like you can still eat eggs and fish and stuff like that, but you become allergic essentially to meat. And uh, it seems morbidly funny to me that like nature would kind of turn around and make that an option because so many people are fighting to be vegetarians that now if you get bit by this tick, like you don't have a choice. And it seemed kind of morbidly funny, I guess so. <laughs> but you know it it is a weird phenomenon uh and it, that ties into a uh, uh disease you know and and disease becoming more and more rampant and i think uh when you mentioned that uh <clears throat> the modern diseases started to kind of come around when the hydro hydrogenated oils were more prevalent and people stopped eating good fats uh that leads us to kind of where we are and one of our other articles that we were looking at was that cancer now is more but is it there's more cases of cancer or you're more likely to get cancer than you are to uh, get married and have yeah. children. Yeah. That it's was horrifying. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I, coincidentally this week, I actually heard somebody say something along those lines, uh, was listening to a podcast and the person on there had had cancer, uh, and, and, uh, was in remission and they said, yeah, it's really going around. Like everybody's catching it. And they were kind of joking about how it's airborne, huh. which obviously it's not, but, uh, yeah, it is becoming really prevalent. I mean, most of the elderly people that I've known in the last few years have died of cancer. Hmm. Uh, well, I think in that same disease, uh, that same article you were talking about, uh, Jonathan, about um, or it's a similar article along those lines is that um, a recent study came out of Canada about how cancer is a lifestyle disease. And that they predicted by 2020, one in two women and one in three men will have been diagnosed with some form of cancer. Mm. Terrible. And probably why that, you know, that I think that that article you were talking about, about getting cancer is more common than getting married or having a baby was carried in The Guardian, like a pretty mainstream magazine or news mm. publication. The, the tele UK Telegraph. Telegraph, yeah. I don't know, Elliot, you're from the UK. Is that a legit organization? Telegraph? Uh, sorry, say that organization again. <laughs> the Telegraph? Uh, the Telegraph? <laughs> Are you joking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I actually wasn't. Oh, no. 
<laughs> no, I mean, no, it's just another sort of mainstream newspaper. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, some some of the stuff they post is, you know, is legit, but other mm. stuff is just like any other. I mean, I guess it depends on, on what kind of thing it's about. If it's about politics, then you can guarantee it's probably um, nonsense, but other stuff, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I think, you know, despite that, you know, they are, uh, the, the statistic I think holds uh, because you can see it, because you can see it happening. Yeah. Um, mm. A lot of people too in their, you know, it's not crazy to get cancer in your 30s, which in and of itself is crazy, but mm. but it's not, you know, you're not shocked when you hear somebody who got it and they're like 37, you know. Yeah. Having a stroke or a heart attack, you know, at 38. Yeah. That used to be unheard of. And in the last five years, more and more cases. It's kind of crazy, though, that um, it's like, you know, it is it is such a, a common and kind of mainstream thing now. And and people like the mainstream kind of still sticks to the like hard line that it's kind of a random thing. Like, you know, they'll they'll list off a few things that are that cause cancer and generally you know, some of those things are total BS, but like, um, smoking for instance, but, um, it's just, it's kind of like they, they don't, nobody's really in the mainstream that I can see is really like digging hard into like what is actually causing cancer. Whereas you see like in a lot of more alternative kind of, um, news sources and, uh, you know, the people who are on more of the fringe of, of the medical community are looking at some of the science that's out there and actually looking at, you know, what might be actually causing it which seems like you would you know you would think that everybody would be interested in that but apparently that's not the case um the one article that's talking about how um canada this canadian study is basically giving more evidence that it's actually a lifestyle disease they they mentioned sugar and i think yeah. that um that's kind of a, a major one but it's 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 you would never see that in any kind of mainstream publication or you wouldn't see the american heart association like recommending to decrease sugar because it's bad for your heart or it might give you cancer or whatever the case may be. It's, um, it just, it, it kind of surprises me that it's this like massive kind of elephant in the room that nobody is really addressing. Like other than saying, Oh yeah, there's this chemical in plastic that can give you cancer, but it, they don't really go any further than that and say, Oh yeah, well actually most of the stuff in this processed food will give you cancer. Yeah. Well, and they can't trace it. I mean, you know, I guess sometimes they can like a couple of cases, uh, um, a good friend of mine, her, husband uh died and he had uh, brain tumors uh and mm. he had gotten them because he worked as a machinist for like 25 years um mm. and he was around uh you know certain toxic chemicals and fumes and stuff like that uh and got into his brain um but you know uh on on the other hand there oh man and now I, I was thinking about him and i lost my train of thought <laughs> darn uh, talking about types of cancer. Hmm. Nope, man, I lost it. I'm sorry about that. This is this is live radio. <laughs> Come back. Yep. Losing train anyway, of thought. Anyway, yeah. The, uh, uh, some of the contexts, I think, are understood. And uh, um, whether or not it's kind of your fault, I guess. Mm. You know, that's, hard to, that's hard to say, but uh, you, I was thinking about another case where a man who I knew... 
drank, you know, a, a case of Miller Lite a day for years, for like 30 years. Mm. Uh, and he he died, uh, sadly, of a, a giant tumor in his stomach. I mean, this thing was like the size of a grapefruit, um, mm. you know, and, you know, it was awful. And, uh, you know, of course that didn't need to happen to him. And you hate to use the word fault, I guess. You could just say that, like, yeah, you know what caused it. And it's really sad. And I think that well, happens with a lot of people where it's, you know, their lifestyle leads to it. Yeah, and I think I think actually that's a really good point. And I think because if, if they actually do find, you know, a cause, then suddenly there's um, responsibility that has to be taken up. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, whereas if it's like, you know, if it's just luck of the draw, like you go to your doctor, oh, yeah, sorry, you have cancer. You know, it's probably genetic or something. We don't know. Yeah. Um, then it's just kind of like you're a victim, right? And it's right. just like, oh, I'm a victim. Why me? As opposed to, well, actually, it's because you've been treating yourself like garbage uh, for your entire life. Yeah. You know, suddenly there's a responsibility there, right? Like the person's kind of like, oh, this is my fault. Yeah. Okay, I could have actually avoided this. Right. So maybe maybe there is actually this, this kind of like uh, brain process that goes on that I, people don't want to know. Sure. Well, that, uh, I remembered what I was going to say. The, the, the questionnaire uh, that you get for different types of cancers um, is, is so vague. I, I had heard a guy talking about this thing. He went in, uh, he had bladder cancer and they were treating it and they were trying to figure out where it come from. But the questionnaire was like, did you work in the carpet dyeing industry? You know, do you smoke? And if you do, what brands do you smoke? Um, uh, have you ever worked with, uh, industrial, you know, solvents? Uh, and th- there's this certain list of things, but that's it. You know, they don't do mm. like, they don't, what do you eat? I think, yeah. I mean, I yeah. think, I, I, this is totally a, a supposition. I could be completely wrong, but I, I would think that like maybe oncologists just don't either are not inclined to because they're, they're arrogant or they don't have time to do like actual historical research on why somebody might have gotten mm. cancer. And, like I said, I could be wrong. Maybe I'm slandering oncologists and I, I shouldn't be. I don't know. <laughs> I'll bet that uh, on that uh, questionnaire that they give out, it doesn't ask anything about Roundup. No, been right. Roundup. Yeah. Ever, are you part of the agricultural industry? Do you avoid yeah. GMOs? Yeah. Oh, that will be the day. So, but I think they, you know, you could probably tie the a majority of these cases simply down to, like, alcohol is probably a big one. Um, not in moderation, of course, but a lot of people drink pretty regularly, and if you do that for many years, something's going to go wrong. Uh, and uh, and all of this, like, pardon my French, but shitty processed food, uh, you know, packaged dinners, stuff, you know, craft food service, all this kind of stuff. It's just straight up, like, uh, you know, there's there's no care given into it. I mean, I don't need to go on. You guys all know that it's awful. But uh, mm-hmm. people eat that for their entire lives. Of course, you know, cells are going to they're going to die at a greater rate and then over time they're going to begin to mutate. Well, as Gabby said too, this whole idea of GMOs, like, I mean, recently there was an article that came out about how uh, micro RNAs from plants could be healing. And uh, it was talking about basically how plants and I would imagine all food in general is, is information for your DNA. And so you figure in the last, since the nineties, these GMOs have come out, what kind of information is that, you know? And we've talked in the past about GMOs, about the technology is kind of Russian roulette and you have genes that turn things on and off. Who's to say it's not turning on cancer genes? Mm-hmm. And with, you know, Monsanto and Bayer merging one chemical and one pharmaceutical company, 
the information starts to come out about the demonization of fat because why not push these soy oils and things because it's been really doubted for a while that soy is even good for you or you know what I'm saying? So this yeah. this information in the cells and you know, maybe that's where the cancer epidemic is coming. It's just one of many pieces to the puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, I mean in 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 the context of information, I mean it's interesting that you say that because we know from the work of Dr. Fritz Pop that food actually does emit electromagnetic frequencies in that certain food emits certain frequencies of light. They're called biophotons. And um, there were research done on genetically modified foods. And for uh, I guess the way that you could describe it was that they are dead. They are completely dead because they mm. don't emit light. So all other food <laughs> emits light. It emits specific information that is very much absorbed by your system. Um, but but with the GMOs, they, they didn't emit anything. They are literally dead. There is no information in that. And wow. I guess to some extent I can imagine that the continued consumption of something like that is likely going to cause issues. Aside from the glyphosate, and, you know, we've spoke about glyphosate so many other times on this show. And, and sometimes, I mean, I tend to think that some of the research which links – I mean, we've been speaking about – you know, the research against saturated fats and stuff. But I think I tend to think some of the research which links eating meat with, um, with you know, uh, kind of diseases and stuff, I, I tend to think that some of that may actually be legit in that the, the animals that are fed this, this glyphosate, this Roundup stuff that's sprayed on the grains that they, they eat as food, um, that that builds up in the system of the of the animal to much bigger degrees. Like you think about, they consume this for their whole life. That glyphosate is being um, accumulated in their tissue at such a high rate, and so when you eat really poor quality meat, um, you are getting a big dose of this glyphosate stuff. And so I wouldn't be surprised if some, as I said, if some of the research which links uh, eating meat with disease is actually legit yeah. in that, well, mm. it's not it's not normal meat that we're eating. And if you're eating yeah. pasture-fed and naturally raised meat, then you would have probably a completely opposite result. But the problem is, is that mm. we are eating really, really bad meat nowadays. So it's like mm. even if even if you don't consume these grains and stuff, you are likely to be consuming some of this nasty chemical glyphosate stuff that Monsanto yeah. are pushing out. Yeah, no, I totally yeah. agree with that. I think that's yeah, that's no, that's definitely the case. And I mean, it's it's funny because you don't you don't see when you see these studies like you know, oh, red meat causes colon cancer. I mean, you don't see like there's never a differentiation made between what yeah. kind of eat, meat they're actually mm -hmm. eating. Um, yeah. And it's good, you know, if the vast majority of the public is just getting whatever is sold at the grocery store, then you can be I sure agree. that that's exactly what they're getting is stuff with like, you know, fed GMOs, fed all kinds of garbage. I, I think I said this in a show previously, like uh, there was once an intoxication with glyphosate in the emergency room and no doctor knew what glyphosate was. And I was, oh, glyphosate? Monsanto? <laughs> and everybody was like, what's that? So you can see how short-minded, you know, some of this research is and how you know, little doctors really know about the real factors at play here. <sighs> mm. Yeah. I, I, wow. 
I mean, I might be naive about this, but if I heard a doctor say, what is that to the name of like a chemical <laughs> compound, I'd be like, oh, man. <laughs> is there <laughs> anybody else here for, I can see? Yeah. Did you go to school for like 12 years for that? <laughs> well, I, I know. Say, a, <laughs> I wonder if Sorry. he said Roundup if they would know because it, yeah. it's, mm. it's, it is no. so, I mean, then, <laughs> You should try, Tommy. <laughs> no, because the tag had Roundup on the, the bottle. Oh, you know. yeah. It yeah. said Roundup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were they were looking for the main principle, and it says, "Is this glyphosate?" You know, yeah, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> you know? I was very shocked by that. You know, it makes me realize, wow, the ignorance in some circles. Can we just like get informed, all of us, evenly? You know. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's I, it's true with a lot of things uh, where the you you go to the doctor and they're you know they they're trained to deal with certain things and they may not know stuff that's coming around the bend. Like a lot of people that still think that um, Morgellons is a is a is a hoax. You know, like that it's um, mm. a mental illness. Um, I know I've mentioned before that I listen to the Joe Rogan podcast a lot, and he he thinks has that opinion that it's like that it's a hallucination generally really yeah, like god yeah <laughs> that bothers me <laughs> but you know i i think that sure maybe in some cases it is but there's a lot of cases where uh some, something weird is definitely going on but that always comes to mind when we talk about doctors not knowing about things you know because it's a it's a new very strange phenomena um that really has no uh context for understanding mm. But the research is out there if people are looking for it, especially about glyphosate. I mean, I remember when I saw Dr. Huber speak several years ago and he had worked for the Department of Defense and, you know, he had this huge background in soil science. And I was just shocked when he talked about, you know, the death of of animals and stillborns and, and cattle and pigs and then he went into the whole thing about how it leaches minerals from plants. I mean, it was very straightforward. And I remember thinking, I can't believe people just aren't totally freaked out by what he's sharing right now. Because it was really seemed like very common sense. Like you put this on the soil, it sucks all the nutrients out. It goes into the animals. It goes into the food chain. And basically, he said, we're experimenting on our future generations. It's just one big experiment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, along thinking about those lines and like experimenting at large with uh, with society, uh, one of our topics we were going to cover today and connecting all these different dots is the opioid epidemic, mm. uh, and that that strikes me as a very similar kind of thing. It's like a mixture of you know greed for profit, psychopathy, uh, and you know some like. Uh, really diabolical kind of like medical curiosity that they have. I don't know, you know, like why, you know, doctor, this is another case where, you know, I, I know a few doctors who are really, really good, super smart, like way smarter than me, very compassionate and they're good people. So I always hesitate when I talk about doctors to paint them all in a broad brush, but it is like, you know, when, when they are over prescribing opiates for like a sore back, and stuff like that, mm-hmm. you know, and you create an addict. You you cannot help but uh, create addicts when you do that. And that's you know you're you're giving you're essentially giving somebody a disease that they have to deal with for the rest of their life now, mm-hmm. or, or or at the very least they have to spend the next what two to three years 
working really, really hard to like not have that withdrawal anymore. Uh, it, it's awful. It's just awful. Yeah. And then of course the vast majority of those people are going to try to find something else, which you end up with, you know, street drugs that are impure. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a huge black market for prescription opioids at this point, um, right. which I think is part of the, part of the problem. I mean, I read one of the articles that they're selling for like 30, like I think it was fentanyl that yeah. was selling for like 35 to $50 a pill. Yeah. Hundreds of times power, more powerful than morphine, you know? It's a cheap yeah. way to kill yourself. Well, yeah. Sorry, I mean, the fact of the matter is, the the thing is, it's like it's 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 just you know you kind of wonder like well how does how does this become so prevalent because like when you look at um, all these different places in the in the U.S. where this is kind of cropping up and becoming like a real big problem and it seems to be kind of the more like depressed areas of the U.S. like one of the articles was specifically focusing on uh, West Virginia where you know a lot of people there are very dependent upon the coal industry. And apparently it's not doing so well and people, so there's a lot of unemployment. So there's a lot of like pain in general. Mm. And I guess people are kind of like offered this, you know, drug, um, whether it be from a doctor or actually on the street to just kind of like end that pain or at least temporarily. So I can see why it would be, you know, so prevalent that people just end up getting hooked on this. It's like, I just need to end this, this pain. Like, I don't want to worry about things right now. I don't want to be anxious. I don't want to be... Or in physical pain. I mean, and usually when it's prescribed, it's for some sort of physical pain. But it's like they just want the pain to stop. So exactly. yeah, you you know, you take the pill and you don't think about the consequence of like you're going to get hooked on this. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. The U.S. Well, is the pioneer. Sorry, Harry. Oh, go yeah. ahead. Go on. Go on, Gabby. No, the United States is a pioneer in opioids. You know, they have a really big problem there. But I've seen these happening uh, in Spain as well. Um, over the last five years, the opioids have become increasingly popular. And sometimes I wish uh, big pharma's marketing will not be so successful, but it is. They are mm-hmm. like marketing people. They are so so competent that, uh, you know, it, it makes me mad sometimes, you know, <laughs> because it's, it's sell like this product. Like, yes, you have all these people with endless surge of pain, with pain that no, you know, that do not go away. That's make them, make, making them suffer endlessly. And here we have a solution, you know, that's an oversimplification, but I can, you know, I can see oh. it's working, you know. Well, it's yeah, interesting you, can, you guys right. mentioned the, the pain aspect because um, I've been reading a lot about this and, you know, the CDC came out and they were talking about their sales of opioids just in the U.S. and how they've quadrupled from 1999 to 2015. But they said the amount of pain that adults are experience, experiencing actually remain the same. Sure. So even though they had this quadrupling of opioids, the pain is the same. And, and I'm not really sure how they measure the pain. But, mm. you know, 183,000 people die from overdoses a year. And it's like yeah. a, the emergency rooms are overrun. And um, one of the articles we read, it was talking about the areas that Doug was talking about, like the Appalachias, like, you know, poverty mm. stricken. And, you know, people come in overdosing and the nurse in emergency rooms, they don't know what to do. They can't even get these people any sort of help for like three and four months. And 
in one of the articles, they were talking about how Suboxone and Methadone are actually more expensive and harder to get than it is to get the opioids. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I encourage everybody to watch if you have a chance. Uh, uh, Vice News, it's an HBO show. So if you have like an HBO or access to HBO, you can look it up there. But if you don't, I think you can probably find it on YouTube. They have a clip uh, that they did. Uh, it's like 20 minutes long about fentanyl in Canada and fentanyl addiction. Mm. And the way that they were, they were following this one guy who wanted to get clean, but he was like, it's so hard. He had to travel like uh, across a, a couple of provinces to get to another city where he could actually find somebody who would help him. Um, huh. You know. What's the name of the documentary again? Uh, I don't remember. I'm sorry, but it's, oh, Vice, sorry. it's sorry. Vice News. <laughs> Uh, the, Vice News made it, and uh, Shane Smith is the—he's uh, the main guy for Vice News, and he's the narrator. Hmm. And it was about fentanyl in Canada. Well, what's even more crazy um, is—oh, go on, Elliot. You no, I was, no, yeah, yeah. I was just going to say it's called Fentanyl, the drug deadlier than heroin. There you go. It's on. I'll okay. post the link up to it now. Well, just recently reading the news, and this kind of connects the dots, too. So uh, Big Pharma's response to this whole opioid epidemic is to create a clinically viable heroin vaccine. Oh, how noble of them. And it's actually being paid for by U.S. tax dollars. Oh, wow. So it's a vaccine um, that prevent, prevents you from becoming addicted to oh, – you said heroin. You, yeah, so – this is a, they're calling calling it a heroin vaccine, oh, oh, but basically oh, okay. what they do is they administer administer it, and they've been using monkeys and animals, and they're going to start human trials here shortly. But when they administer it, if you take heroin or opioids, I would imagine that goes for fentanyl as well. Um, you won't be able to feel the effects of the euphoria of the drug for eight months after the administration the vaccine huh. and i'll put the article right. in the link because it does go into a lot about you know the drug war the drug wars in the u.s and illegal heroin coming into the u.s yeah it's it's, yeah. it's kind of crazy because it actually um they inject the vaccine and it makes your immune system actually react to the drug so that it immediately starts kind of attacking it and breaking it down. So when you um, take uh, heroin, in this case, um, your body starts breaking it down kind of right away or deactivates it or whatever. So it makes it so you can't actually get the get the high from it. And the thought is that then people will therefore stop doing it because they won't get the reward. Yeah. That, that makes sense to me from the point of view of a helper in a recovery situation. If in, in like a very specific situation, that would make sense. But, it, you know, um, it, it also, you know, you have to be careful because it negates the uh, the role of, of willpower, which is the main mm. thing an addict needs. So it's like, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I could also see it going the, the route of uh, they're going to use it in, in hospitals and it's just going to become a standard thing. Like, oh, your back hurts. Well, here's the vaccine for opi you know, opioids and here's some oxys. Mm. But yeah. unless I'm reading that wrong. Well, it's also, it, it again, doesn't deal with the core issue of where right. the addiction is coming from. Yeah, exactly. 
I don't know if it works on op- opioids either. I mean, they're, they, yeah, they only refer to it in terms of heroin, but um, yeah. but it might. Like, it, I'm, I'm not entirely sure. But what I about was... the endogenous opioids that your body produces anyway? Is it well, gonna? That's a good question. Is it gonna say? I mean, like, you you need them for pain. I mean, natural endogenous sort of pain management, but also um, feelings of being relaxed and and other kind of things. I mean, opioids play so many functions in 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 the body. So, <laughs> I mean, it's just this is speculative, but. I mean, I'd be concerned if, yeah, your immune system starts attacking the, the, the ones that you've just injected into your body. But then what if it also starts attacking the cells that produce you, 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 uh, the opioids in, you know, in like your brain and stuff? <laughs> I just yeah. I think it's a it's a dangerous road to go down. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. <laughs> I got to I got to say my opinion about uh, uh, Kratom or Kratom is, is changing slightly mm. um i was talking to a friend about this uh, the other day and and uh it is uh addictive um you will have withdrawal if you stop using it and uh, so for listeners who aren't familiar we've talked about this in the past but uh kratom is a uh a south pacific or not south pacific like uh vietnamese indonesia like that area a, a plant uh that produces opioids um that you can take like the powdered or like in a tea uh, and it, it acts on your opiate receptors um, and it's used for uh, pain management and things like that and for addiction. Um, but it's, it's been very controversial because it is actually addictive and you have to go through a withdrawal period when you stop using it, but it won't kill you. And that's mm. as sad as it is. I think that's what it's come down to. It's like, yeah, let's use this because it's not going to kill you. Whereas all these other like uh, pharmaceutical prescriptions, if you keep using them or use too many, it's it's eventually going to kill you. Uh, so, well, you know, I mean, the same two, could be said for for Suboxone and Methadone. I mean, those can kill you too. You know? Right, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, especially the so withdrawals. Feel, yeah, so I feel like with with kratom, you know, two weeks of the cold sweats is better than dying. You know, but. Mm. Again, I wonder if getting off Kratom. I was just going to say, I wonder if getting off Kratom is 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 easier than getting off the actual drug that the person is addicted to. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like a way of going down in stages, kind of thing. Yeah, a lot of people will do that with a taper off of uh, benzodiazepines by going to. No, I don't remember the name, but yeah, going to uh, slightly less potent other uh, medications to try to taper off. That's what Suboxone is essentially and methadone, right? They're, you know, mm-hmm. they're still addictive, but they're le- slightly less addictive than the alternative. Um, mm. but I've read it, you know, if you, any, if any of our listeners know about Kratom or are interested in like, just in learning, like what the, what the story about it is, there's a Reddit, uh, board, uh, for Kratom withdrawal. That's really, really interesting read. Um, because a lot of people, it's it's very interesting to see people go back and forth between being conflicted about how addictive this substance is and the fact that it's non-lethal and is helping people get off of heroin and other opiates. So I, I think it's kind of a fascinating world. Well, and the vaccine, you know, possibility is really just a Band-Aid. Yeah. And it's, it's, again, more money for big pharma. Yeah. So, comedy show, right? Today? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was <laughs> 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 
Happy topics. <laughs> well, it's just so, all well, interconnected, you know, again, and hence the name for the show today, Connecting the Dots, is just your food, your lifestyle, all things. Well, spe- yeah. Speaking <laughs> of happy topics and um, and your food, apparently... To go off on maybe a lighter note, there was a study recently that was put out that found it was healthy for children to uh, pick their nose. And- <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's not just picking the nose, right? It's eating it as well. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do tell. So that disgusting habit that uh, some kids seem to be afflicted with, uh, yeah, apparently it's good for them. And uh, scientists are now speculating that maybe it's a – a good source of kind of environmental probiotics and introducing things to the immune system. And, um, yeah. We're, we're back to the beginning, picking our nose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently uh, research developers are trying to come up with a, a chewing gum based on the, <laughs> on the, the mucus. <laughs> did, we, did we have to know that? <laughs> Wonka did it. Can't yeah, wait till that comes out. They're finding that the, the bacteria that's present there is actually really good for the mouth and for dental hygiene. So I guess it's it's uh, a chewing gum would make sense, and maybe we should be telling our kids rather than don't pick your nose and eat it, chew to that pick for your longer. nose and eat it. <laughs> right, just keep it in there. That's why I was sitting there, kid. That would be a discussion starter. Yeah, it would. <laughs> You know, I'm sorry, but I have to say this. There's like the there's that that thing about how, in certain cases, drinking your own fresh urine is also good for you, <laughs> as well as as well as fecal transplants, right? So yeah, fecal transplants is basically Syner- the same concept, but instead of you digesting it, they put it with a tube into your intestine, so you will not have to swallow it and taste it. Oh my goodness. <laughs> What I didn't understand about the fecal transplants is, okay, we can do that now and that's amazing because it really helps so many people. But, um, but when, when we were talking about it on one of the shows in the past, I remember doing some research into, into where it actually stemmed from. Apparently, it came from, um, it was like ancient China, it's something BC, so yes. thousands of years ago or something. And, um, and it was known as yellow soup. So I yes. can't imagine that they would have used a tube. Um, so I guess they, they would have actually eaten it. Uh. Maybe with a straw. Oh. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. <laughs> But I didn't eat breakfast yet. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that was a light note. Thank you, Doug. Yes, that was great. <laughs> you want to put the link up so parents can read that and share yeah. with yeah. their children? Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. your kids for eating their boogers. <laughs> no, let them do it. I thought it was dope kind of uh, lighting up at first, but. <laughs> no, apparently Just, not. Like the queen, let them eat boogers. <laughs> just, just yeah, two apparently, abs. I mean, 
Go ahead. I was just going to say, just to add, kind of off topic, but basically what we were talking about, the fecal transplant before, um, something just clicked in my head. Basically, I've worked in, um, in, with, with sort of adults with learning disabilities before and, and other sort of, uh, things like that. And I have actually witnessed people consuming their own feces. Um, mm. and I always thought, thought that that would make them really ill, but it, Kind, it doesn't actually seem to happen um, and there's a lot of people who do generally tend to eat their own feces quite a lot and never get ill so um so yeah i just thought that was interesting and that kind of relates it seems crazy but in a really weird way it, it makes sense that that would that would be something that we've never heard about that used to be really good for you <laughs> like we uh, uh my, my neighbor has a dog that eats his own poop and it's the craziest like yeah. he doesn't you don't have to clean up after him he just he poops and then he <laughs> Oh my god! It's <laughs> great. I yeah, I don't know. I can't. It, like to me, it always comes across like it was the, like with the whole urine thing too. I was always kind of like, my body is getting rid of this. Why would I want to put it back in? Like, yeah. Do I have some intelligence that my body? No, no, no. I want that. Yeah. Don't get I'm rid of it. Nauseated. <laughs> that does seem kind of weird. <laughs> okay. Well, hey, let's. Uh, I'm sorry, Gabby, were you going to say something? No, I was just going to say um, that I'm feeling nauseated, or maybe I have a very rich imagination. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, uh, do, Erica, do we have the, uh, the JP clip? No. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, it, in the context that we were talking about coconut oil, our listeners, <laughs> uh, if you haven't seen it and you have, uh, you know, four or five minutes on your hands, look up uh, JP Sears Coconut Oil Kills. <laughs> spiritual life episodes episode number 66 so it's check quite that out on, yeah uh and jp is ripped i didn't realize that he's a ripped guy it's, it's all that coconut oil yeah i guess yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well let's go to let's go to zoya's segment today uh she's going to talk about coconut oil as well um and uh when we come back we'll wrap it up Welcome to the pet health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Recently, American Heart Association declared that coconut oil is extremely damaging for health. Hmm. On the other hand, soy is supposed to be a food of gods. Yeah, it appears that the world gone mad and common sense doesn't live here anymore. Only corporate interests and psychopathic principles. Nevertheless, in this segment, I would like to share with you a recommendation by Dr. Karen Becker regarding giving coconut oil to your pets and how, oh my God, beneficial it is for them. And if you are worried that it is going to kill them, well, what's for sure that even if American Heart Association is right by any chance, and no, it isn't, it will never get close to the damages that dry food industry inflicts on our pets. So listen up and have a great weekend. And goodbye. Hi, this is Dr. Karen Becker, and if you're a health-conscious person, you probably have heard about the benefits of incorporating coconut oil into your diet. If you are a pet owner and a health-conscious person, it's important to note that all those same health benefits are also passed down to the dogs, cats, reptiles, birds, ferrets, and rabbits in your life. 
Coconut oil is one of the richest sources of medium-chain triglycerides and medium-chain essential fatty acids uh, that you can find anywhere. The great thing about medium-chain triglycerides for pets is it's a rich source of energy, and it contains lauric acid. Lauric acid is um, beneficial uh, in terms of helping the immune system. Lauric acid's antiviral, antifungal, antibacterial. And lauric acid does a great job of helping to balance the immune system. I love coconut oil for dogs and cats specifically because it is easy to digest. So I feel very confident recommending it for patients that have gastrointestinal problems. Uh, patients with IBD or dysbiosis and sensitive stomachs can really benefit from coconut oil because coconut oil doesn't require lipase or gallbladder secreted bile to, to help process it. Many of the essential fatty acids of the market require uh, pancreatic secretion of the digestive enzyme lipase as well as bile for appropriate digestion and assimilation. And coconut oil is excellent because you can provide it to your pets and it doesn't cause any additional requirement for absorption or digestion. Your pets are able to assimilate it beautifully without uh, having to require any other organs work for assimilation or digestion. Coconut oil does a great job of uh, helping to balance dysbiotic patients or animals that are having ratio of good to bad bacteria issues in their GI tracts. Coconut oil is terrific for animals that have allergies or skin and coat problems. So in my practice, we recommend it for pets that have dry, flaky skin through the winter. We recommend it for animals that have thin coats or that are shedding excessively. I love coconut oil topically as well for pets that have cuts, abrasions, sores, dry, cracked noses on old dogs, elbow pads of dogs that are thick and irritated, even uh, on the pads of their feet. During uh, winter months, it's excellent moisturizer for pads that are cracked or irritated. So at my practice, we advocate using coconut oil. Topically, we recommend using coconut oil internally for all of the health benefits in terms of um, helping to provide lauric acid in an absorbable form for dogs and cats. At my house, my pets love coconut oil. In fact, they'll eat it right off the spoon. Uh, at my house, I use coconut oil for administering pills and medications because uh, they love it. And so I might be able to take just a scoop of it, and my pets will eat it right off the scoop. The dose for coconut oil is a teaspoon for every um, 10 to 20 pounds of body weight. Occasionally, initially, I'll use a teaspoon for every f 5 pounds, but maintenance dose is a teaspoon for every 10 to 20 pounds of body weight. At my house, I'm able to put the pills right inside of a dollop of coconut oil and offer it to my pets, and they'll eat it right off the spoon. So it's an excellent treat, but it's a treat with a whole host of medicinal benefits. Thank you, Zoya, for sharing that with us. That's, uh, yeah, same thing with um, uh, giving pills. When I would give pills to my dog, I use butter. <laughs> mm. Good idea. Yeah. Well, uh, that's our show for today. I guess we just uh, wrap it up. Um, thanks for to our chat participants for taking part in the chat. There, uh, we had some good discussion going on. Um, be sure to tune into the SOT Radio Show on Sunday, uh, noon Eastern time. Uh, and uh, no matter where you are, go to radio.sot.net, and the local the airtime will be shown there in your local time zone. So check that out. Um, so I guess thanks uh, again, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Yes, thanks, all. Bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.